If you are an unbeliever and, uh, and you're here, uh, what I'd really like to do is I'd love to have you join us for lunch today. Give me that opportunity to share with you um, because we're going to have lunch today and, and uh, I'd really love to be able to, to, to share with any unbelievers. Um, you got, you, you'll have a, a dedicated hour with me if you would like that. And uh, uh, just give me that chance to share with you. All right, let's look at First Peter. We're in First Peter. And I'll start reading again. We'll overlap a little bit from last time. Start reading again from verse 6. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he talks about how there is suffering, that there are trials that that come upon the believer. He says, in this we greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. And I don't know anybody who didn't need trials in their life, because that is the way that our faith is proven, our faith is tested. It's not that God needs to test our faith to really know what our faith is like. We already know that, He already knows that. We don't. He allows these tests in our life so that He can test us, so that we can see in ourselves. We don't surprise Him when we falter. We might surprise ourselves to see that we're not quite what we thought we were. This is why he allows these tests to go on. It's more for ourselves than for him. Uh, He allows our faith to be tested, and then we say, whoa, I'm not quite what I thought I was. I was doing really well until these problems came in my life. So he allows these things to come in our life. It says, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, when Jesus returns, there is going to be, there's going to be great things that are going to happen. Uh, He wants to see that it's going to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He allows this to happen in our lives so that upon his return, there can be this this, uh, um, praise, glory, and honor that will take place at his return. And uh, uh, Jesus addresses this type of thing. He said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my word, I will be ashamed of him when I come in the glory of my Father and his angels. When Jesus comes, returns in the glory of his Father and his angels, he's going to be ashamed of the people that were uh, ashamed of him and of his word. Whoever is ashamed of me and of my word. You see how he elevates his word. Whoever is ashamed of me and my word, I will be ashamed of him when I come in the glory of my father and his angels. So imagine he comes in the glory of his father and he he, he meets a particular person. He says, "Uh, Father, you don't want to meet this person. And he, he goes on to the next. I mean, this is what he's talking about. And he says, let there be praise and glory and honor when he returns. He allows trials in our life that are never comfortable, but the fruit is always good. 
He allows these things in our lives. And it is always, it says, for a little while. It is always temporary in the life of the believer. It will never continue. The torment for the unbeliever will continue throughout eternity. Even if we die in the midst of that trial, it is therefore temporary because we go on to a much better glory. So we talked a lot about this last week. In verse 8, And through... And, and, and though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time, the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Okay, so... Um, in verse 8, he's talking about people like us, people who have not seen Jesus in the flesh. These are second generation believers. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, believe in him you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And uh, you don't have to have seen Jesus physically. When people write to me, boy, if I saw Jesus physically, that would do it. No, you would explain it away. You really would. It's not that. It is the belief in him we take hold of it. We are greater, we are more blessed by not having seen him and yet believing. And, and, and so these are second generation believers. Now let's look. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Obtaining as the outcome of, of your faith the salvation of your souls. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. He says here, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. This is huge. If you believe in Him, you get saved. The outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls. This is a pretty good deal. Somebody dies in your stead. Somebody dies in your place. You receive him, you believe in him, and the outcome of this is you get saved. The outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls. That's what it is. The outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls. Now let's focus in on this portion. Verse 10. As to the salvation... Now, He's saying the salvation of your souls. So he's referring to this salvation that he's just talking about. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So what he's saying is the prophets of old, you might think that the prophets of old are just stumbling along and then all of a sudden, vision. And a prophecy is given to them. And they write it down. Not like that. That's what he's saying. It's not like that. He says, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace 
that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. They were making careful searches and inquiries. They were seeking to know. They longed to know. And God revealed it to them. This didn't just come dropping on them like out of the blue. They made careful searching and inquiries in order to find out uh, these times and the things that were going to come. So, for example, if you look at Daniel, look at Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. And I approached, the, I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. So Daniel had angelic appearances. And he was asking them, he was inquiring of them, what does all this mean? Daniel was constantly seeking. You see this again, Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of of Midian descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the compilation of, for the, I'm sorry, for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my intention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting sackcloth and ashes. So Daniel is searching the writings of the prophet Jeremiah. He and Jeremiah were contemporaries. You might remember that when Babylon finally took the city of Jerusalem, the final onslaught of Jerusalem, which came several years after the first wave when Daniel was taken, they approached Jeremiah, who was in prison at that time. So the difference in age between Jeremiah and Daniel is probably like the difference in age between me and many of the students here. Jeremiah was older than Daniel, but not by more than 30 30 to 50 years. And so they were contemporaries. And and, uh, by this time, now now that it's, it's, it's 70 years, by this time into it, Jeremiah's probably passed away. But they were contemporaries. So now he is studying the writings of Jeremiah. And he says, in the writings of Jeremiah, it was revealed to him the number of years, because Jeremiah said that they would be in, in, uh, in captivity for 70 years. Now, where do you start that 70 years? Do you start that 70 years when Daniel and the first group went? Or you, do you start that 70 years when the second group went? Or you just start that 70 years when the last group went forward? And this is what Daniel is praying about, because if it was just an easy thing to interpret 70 years, you would immediately know. And so this is going to be revealed to Daniel. And he says that, that, that uh, uh, I observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So he observed this in the books. He is studying the books. He is studying the prophets. Well, how hard does he study? It says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So he would fast in order to understand what Jeremiah the prophet had written. He was undergoing, he would wear sackcloth, which was their way of showing just, just utter contempt for themselves in the sense of, of, of their debasement relative to God and, and ashes. 
So this is what he would go through in order to understand. Seeking God through the Word of God is not simple. It is like, well, what are we going to read today? Oh, okay, that was a nice verse. (laughs) No, it's not like that at all. If you really want to understand these things, there is study, there is seriousness, and you study the Word of God. That's what Daniel is doing. That's what he did. That's what, that's what he's talking about in First Peter. If you look in Daniel chapter 12, verse 8, As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? So things were being revealed to Daniel, but he didn't understand it. So he's having to seek God more for understanding. It wasn't like, just dropped upon him. These things come through study, through longing for it. He said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end, the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. So now he's bringing clarity to Daniel. Daniel is asking of him, and, and he's bringing this clarity to Daniel now. And, and uh, uh, we see this sort of thing in the scriptures where, where we're asked, Jesus tells us, Jesus tells us in, Dan, in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. But the pattern of Scripture is not merely asking and walking away. And this is what we see in Daniel. Daniel was, was petitioning the Lord, and, and we see that, that he was petitioning the Lord, and it wasn't until, like I think it was 21 days later, that that uh, uh, that the the angel appears to him and says, you, you know, I, uh, as soon as you prayed, I was dispatched, but I had to contend with the enemy which was in my way, and so it was like twenty one days that he's asking the Lord before the Lord begins to reveal things to him. If you want to grow in the Lord, you study the Scriptures, and it is not easy. You take it seriously. What if you you're, you're taking organic chemistry and you're like. Oh, there's a test tomorrow. Well, I think I'll open the book. And Oh, that's nice. I think I'm good. I got it. How are you going to do? How are you going to do? Not very good. Not very well at all. What makes you think that you can just flip open the Word of God and read a few verses and say, I'm good. I got it. I got this thing figured out. You'll be a wimp spiritually. And you'll live your life spiritually a wimp. You seek the scriptures and you learn and you grow. That's what he says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. And to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. They were carefully pouring over these things, carefully seeking these things out to understand. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like the nations which are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your countrymen. You shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Moreover, 
he shall not multiply horses for himself. He shall not cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away, nor, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. So this was the command to kings. When you get a king, and no king of Israel or Jerusalem ever did this, but the command was, the king is only supposed to have one wife, not to multiply wives from himself, only one wife. David never listened to this. David had, I don't know, eight wives or something, seven wives, and then a bunch of concubines. One wife. Other people could have multiple wives, but not the king. The king has one wife, he said. And they're not to multiply horses for themselves or amass riches for themselves, no silver and gold for themselves. This is a sacrifice. Leadership is sacrifice. He gives all these things that he shouldn't do. Now what should he do? Verse 18. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. You look at the first five books of Moses. Genesis through Deuteronomy. They had to write their own copy of this. The king was to write his own copy in the presence of Levitical priests to make sure that he didn't make a mistake. You forgot to dot that I right there. Go back and do that. And and, uh, he was to write his own copy on a scroll. And and, uh, what was he supposed to do with it then? Verse 19, it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. That his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that his sons make, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. So what was he supposed to do? It shall be with him. Well, what about when I go out to my resort home. You take it with you. It shall be with him. When you travel, you bring your Bible with you. It shall be with him. And he shall read it all the days of his life. Is there anybody here who does not know what all the days of your life mean? Does anybody not know what every day means? Every day you're in the Word of God. Every day day, every day. That is the intent. These things do not come easily. Every day in the Word of God. When I lead somebody to the Lord, I talk about being in the Word of God every day, and I start them with 15 minutes every morning. Every morning, every morning. You say, well, I'm I'm a night person. Well, change. Because nights, it's very hard to be consistent. You've got to wake up early in the morning and have a dedicated time with the Lord and the Word of God. If you want to do it at night too, that's fine. But I'm just telling you, nights becomes hard. Especially as you start having children and you've got to get them all to bed and you've got to get them all in bed and all the things that happen and, and uh, um, all the things, all the events that, that take place in the evening. It's very hard to be consistent. And uh, uh, he says that, that he was to do this every day. Why should he do it? Why should I do it? Why should I? Funny you should ask. He tells us that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. 
We learn to fear the Lord our God. We do not, we're not born inherently fearing God. He says that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. As we read the scriptures, it gives us the fear of God. Because we see what happens to people's lives who do not obey God. And it's never pretty. There is seriousness in the study of the Word of God. These prophets poured over the Word of God. He's saying you are to take the Word of God so that you would learn to fear God. What do you mean fear God? It means fear God. The Bible says... Whoever touches another man's wife will in no way go unpunished. Whoa! That's scary stuff. You put your hand on another man's wife, you will be punished by God. You get away with nothing in life. Everything comes back to you. Everything. You do wrong, it comes back to you. It may not come back the same day or the next day, but it will come back to you. We can't mess around with this stuff. You have a flirtatious attitude at work. You think, well, I'm not married, so I can do these things. It will destroy your life. It will affect your future marriage. You want to have a good marriage? You want to have a good life? Go ahead, sleep around a lot. Think, well, we have to do this to see if we're compatible. Trust me, you'll be compatible if the Lord has called you together. You'll figure it out. You'll be compatible if the Lord has called you together. You don't have to try these things out. The world tells you this. The world is wrong. The world is going to hell. The way is broad. It is wide. And there are masses, masses of people going straight to hell because of this. God has a way for us. And that way is right. You get in the Word of God, it will put the fear of God in you. You do not get this without daily in the Word of God. If you are not daily in the Word of God, I ask you today to repent. To repent for not obeying God. To be daily in the Word of God. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. We're reading out of, out of Deuteronomy chapter 17. Verse 19, it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing the words of this law and these statutes. It's by carefully reading this book and saying, I need to do this. I need to do this. There are times in my life when I have disobeyed the Lord and it has turned out horrid for me. Absolutely horrid. And the more mature you get in the Lord, to whom much is given, much is expected, the more He requires of you. He's given you much. He expects much. You can't mess around with these things. The world does it all the time. You say, well, they seem to get away with it. They don't. They don't. We'll look more at that next time. But it says... That his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen. It is the word of God that will keep us humble. It is the word of God that will keep you from thinking too much of yourself. Okay, so you graduated. Big whoop. So you got your degree. You really think you're something? You're not. You're the same person you were yesterday. You have the same struggles. 
the same battles with sin that you had the day before you got your degree. Just because a person has professor by their name doesn't make them all of a sudden authority on every topic in the world. That his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen. That he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left. You get in the word of God and it will keep you in his commandments. So that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. You want the best thing, the best thing that you can do for your children, for your future children, is to be in the word of God. It is the very best thing that you can do for your children. If you look at at, at Psalm, Psalm 112, Psalm 112, and and, uh, Psalm 112, we're going to read verse 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. He says, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. It says, you will be blessed if you fear God and greatly delight in his commandments. You make his commandments your delight. It is not a torture for me to get into the word of God. I look forward to getting up in the morning, to spending time in prayer and being in the word of God. I look forward to it. Because I've been doing it for about 43 years. So it's kind of become a habit. And I love it. I love it. You learn to love that which is good. Just remember, you may not love it initially because our hearts are so disinclined to that which is good. We are inclined to that which is evil. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. What is the outcome of this? Your descendants will be mighty on this earth. That's what the Bible promises. Your generation, the generation of the upright, will be blessed. You know, if not for you, how about for your children? How about for your children's sake? Say, oh, I got this parent thing down. No problem. Oh, yeah? You go ahead and let them learn the world's ways. Boy, it'll bring tragedy in their lives and pain in yours if you let them go the way of the world without teaching them the Word of God. It's hard enough even having taught them the Word of God. This word is true. These prophets poured over this book, poured over these words, seeking, wanting to know sackcloth, ashes, fasting, prayer, supplication before God in order to know. Why should it come to us easily? It shouldn't come to us easily. Why should it be that you could just sign up for organic chemistry and get an A? No, there's a lot of work in it. We expect that. We understand that. Why should it be any different with the Word of God? The Word of God, we are to dig into this. And this is how we learn. This is how we grow. They made careful searches and inquiries. Verse 11 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Seeking to know. They were seeking to know. We seek to know. It wasn't like, oh, it's there. Oh, okay, now I know. They were seeking to know. If anyone seeks, he shall find. Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them. It was the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus was in these prophets long before Jesus was born as a man on earth. 
He was there from the beginning, we know. From the beginning, He was there. The Spirit of Christ was working in those prophets to reveal to them the person and the time when all this would take place. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Jesus, what he suffered and what he went through. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God the thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why should we have it so easy? He went through so much here on earth. Why should we have it easy? Verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One man, one Lord, one Messiah went through suffering and then the glory will follow. We know that teaching in the New Testament. They didn't know in the Old Testament. They couldn't explain it because there are verses in the Bible in the Old Testament that talk about the suffering servant. There are verses that talk about the reigning Messiah. They couldn't make sense of this. And then it's revealed to us in the New Testament. It's one man coming, coming twice. The first time he comes, he's the suffering servant. The next time he comes, he's the reigning Lord. That's why if you read rabbinical writings, you speak to many Jews, they will tell you that there are two messiahs. They're waiting for two messiahs. Messiah, the son of Joseph, they will say, is the suffering messiah. Messiah, the son of David, uh, uh, the son of David, is, is, is going to be the reigning messiah. They will say that there are two messiahs. That's the rabbinical view many of them have come with because they couldn't make sense of this suffering, this reigning. But it's revealed to us, this is one Messiah. There's only one Messiah. He's coming twice. He's coming twice. This was revealed to them. So that now we can understand, it's revealed in the New Testament. They were seeking for this. They knew the timing. The timing had been revealed to Daniel. The timing they knew. They knew that the Messiah was coming. Timing had been revealed. The Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So he says these things have been revealed to them, not for themselves, but for you, for your sake. They were searching out all these things, not to sit there and say... Do you know how much I know about what's going to happen in the future because God revealed? No, they were going through this for our sake so that we would know, so that others could read. When you study the Word of God, it is not just for yourself. It is for others. That study that you do, that pouring over the Scriptures that you do is for others, not just for yourself. I love 
teaching the Word of God. I love it. I mean, you, you, you take my wife. She loves working in the kitchen. You say, oh, that's so sexist. Ask her. She loves it. Last weekend, we were with my father. She was in the kitchen the whole time. And she said that she loved it. She was cooking for my father the whole time. And I kept thanking her for this. She said, stop thanking me. She said, I love doing this. That woman loves working in the kitchen. If I took her out of the kitchen, she'd be upset with me. Then call me sexist. She wants to be there. I love teaching the Word of God. I love it. Because it forces me to dig into this. It forces me to ask, Lord, what's happening here? What's happening in the Scriptures? Yeah, I'll read a commentary just to get a lay of the land. But I don't know the message for the audience for that day unless I pour over the Scriptures. What is the message from this? Because you could blow by this in any way. What's the message for the people today? That's what I'm seeking. When I read the Word of God for myself, what's the message for me today from this? I want to get this right, but what's the message? We pour over the Word of God, and this is where He reveals it. When you're teaching a Bible study, don't just pick up a commentary and think, okay, I'm good, I got it. No! No way! You pour over the Word of God and you say, Lord, what is, what's the truth you want me to bring out of this for the people today? And each one of those prophets was walking in submission to the Lord. If you think that you can walk on your own and pick up the Word of God, and you, you'll end up in never-never land, thinking all sorts of crazy things. You walk in submission. I walk in submission to the pastor of this local church, to the leadership of this local church, and I serve at their, at, at their, their bidding, at their pleasure. If they tell me, Jim, you're done, we want somebody else teaching the college class, that very day, I'm out. No problem, because I have to be under submission. And sometimes I teach things and it's wrong, and people correct me. They, they, they write to me and they say, hey, you, you know, you, you might have been looking this, this the wrong way. And I go, yeah, I'm wrong again. <laughs> I got it wrong again. We walk under submission. You pour over this for the sake of others, so that you can put this in other people's lives. I don't know what your gifting is, but if you're a believer, at some point you're going to be sharing verses with people to put it in the Word of God. If you're ashamed of me and my words, Jesus said, I'll be ashamed of you when I come in the glory of my Father and His angels. If you're ashamed of this Word of God, to pour it into another person's life, he'll be ashamed of you. I didn't say it, not my words. That's what he said. If you are ashamed to speak the Word of God into other people's lives... Jesus will be ashamed of you. That's what he said. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of him. This is the word of life that I'm sharing with you. These are the words of life. This is why when I sit down to share the gospel with somebody, I am sharing a gospel message. I'm not trying to be wise, apologetics. No way. My gospel message is simple. It's the good old traditional gospel. We are all sinners. Nothing we can do about that. We are stuck in sin. Jesus comes. He dies for us on the cross for my sin. He rose from the dead on the third day. And then we discuss the resurrection. And whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that he's risen from the dead, he shall be saved. And I bring them through this, that little sinner's prayer. I have no fear. I have no question. Is this message going to work? Absolutely, this is the message. This is not my message, this is God's message. 
And so I go in with full confidence that this message is going to work. I'm not bringing in any fancy apologetics. I'm not quoting a single philosopher. None. I don't even know any philosophers, except some students around here who think they're philosophers, junior-level philosophers. But I'm not quoting any of them. I just quote verse after verse, Bible verse after Bible verse. The message works. What we have is life. Let me teach you how to meditate on the Word of God. It's very simple. I'm going to teach you right now. You turn to John, the Gospel according to John. John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. This is how you do it. If you don't meditate on the Word of God every day, you're going to start. You're going to start tomorrow morning. You wake up 15 minutes earlier than you normally wake up. You set your alarm and you get out of bed. And you take that Word of God and you read that first verse. And before you start reading it, you say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me through the passage today. This is what I'm telling you. You say to the Lord, Lord, please speak to me through this passage today. Open my eyes, Lord. Then you read the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you stop. You read it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Stop. You read it, a part of the sentence. In the beginning. In the beginning. Lord, what does that mean? Lord, what does in the beginning mean? You mean before time ever was? In the beginning. Before the universe? Lord, what does this mean? In the beginning was the Word. Was the Word. Stop there. Lord, what does this mean? Stop there. It's meditative reading. And the Word was with God. This Word. What does that mean? The Word. And the Word was with God. So with God was the Word. And the Word was God. This Word was God. Lord, this is too great for me. What, what does this mean? He was in the beginning with God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Lord, what does this mean? Teach me. Teach me your word. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Who's the him? That's the word. So now, all of a sudden, verse 3, he personalizes word. Word is a person. We say him concerning a person. This abstract thing of word is a person. Everything, all things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. You read like this. You may only get through six verses in 15 minutes. And then say, Lord, speak this to my heart. Then the next day, you start verse 7. If you only got through six verses the day before. You pick up where you left off the day before. You may, you spend, may spend the entire 15 minutes on one verse. That's okay. That's meditative reading. The Bible speaks much more about meditating on the Word of God than reading it. That's meditatively reading the Word of God. That's what you do. And then, when you get to verse 14 in John chapter 1, your mind will explode if you've read the way I just told you. This is what meditative reading is. Today is the day you're going to start. This day you're going to commit to every day of your life in the Word of God. Every day of your life, and your life will be different from this day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the Word of God. It is so true. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Lord, I pray for these young people that you would just take this word and confirm it to their hearts, that from this day they would pick up this practice of daily, daily, every day in the word of God. Every day in the word of God. They would read it every day, that it would be with them, that they would learn to fear you, that they would do according to what's written in it, so that they would not be lifted up above their countrymen, and that it would go well for them then, with them and with their children. Father, your mercy upon them, I pray. Lord, for the unbelievers that are here, unbelievers that are listening, I pray this day that they would get saved. Father, save their souls, I pray, because they will be totally unable to take hold of the things that I've said today unless they first come into salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, save their souls, I pray. And I offer this to you and for your glory. Amen.